0: We're continuing our uh, message series entitled Intersections today, and the last few weeks we've been looking at key questions to ask when you face the intersections of life, where you're not sure if you're supposed to go straight or right or left or a U-turn, and the decision that you're facing, whatever that may be, could be major, uh, but a lot of the times when we face these intersections where we're not sure what to do, a lot of times it's a decision that we're faced with that we never thought we were going to have to make. It sneaks up on us or it attacks us. And in that moment, it's key to have clarity uh, so we know what to do in the moment, to not allow emotions to overrule us or dictate what we do. And I want to just to review before we dig into the question we're going to be looking at today, uh, kind of where we've been uh, the last few weeks. Uh, We kicked off this series talking about how does this fit into my purpose for living? How does the decision I'm faced with fit into my purpose and knowing your purpose is key to knowing the direction of your life. Uh, The second question we looked at is, am I being completely honest with myself? And we looked at the heart and the fact that the heart can deceive us. And depending on what we want in the moment, if we want something really bad, our heart can tell our mind to come up with a rational reason for getting something that we want, even if we should never do that in the first place. So honesty is very crucial to not making major problems or causing uh, decisions that could really set us back in life. Uh, Last week we looked at what story do I want to tell? And that really all the different decisions that we face, depending on what we do in those decisions, are writing the story of our life. And stopping and asking the question, what kind of a story do I want to tell, allows us to see again in the moment... Does this decision that I'm going to make, either yes or no or maybe or not now, how does that fit into the larger story of my life? We talked about how faith fits into that and fearing God and trusting God and what that looks like uh, in the moment. Today we're going to continue with the fourth key question. And that is, is there attention that I need to pay attention to? Is there attention that I need to pay attention to? And there's a certain tension that you may have and that I may have as we face different decisions, which cause us to kind of feel something in our gut, kind of an inner turmoil or something within us that it just doesn't feel right. You may have experienced that before. The Christ follower, if you decide decided to follow Christ as the boss of your life, this could be like the Holy Spirit working within you. God guides us. He leads us. And part of what he does is through the Holy Spirit who lives in us, he gives us a sense of how to navigate through some of these intersections. Uh, if you're not a Christ follower, you may still have felt that, that kind of nagging sense that something doesn't feel right, or I'm about to do this, but I'm not sure if I'm supposed to. And that's because God made us to be moral creatures, that we we have morality kind of written on the code of our hearts. And we each decide what to do with that morality. And as you can see in our world, there's people that make various decisions that you question. How could any morality exist in some people? But, God has designed us as humans to have this sense of what's right and what's wrong. And a lot of times what happens with this tension is in the middle of decisions that we face, it should cause us to stop and pause and kind of see what's going around, kind of what's happening in the moment. If you've ever felt that tension, that kind of, oh, something doesn't feel right, something doesn't seem right. And if you've ever blown past it and made a bad decision, you can find yourself thinking, why didn't I, why didn't I pay attention to that uneasiness or why did I blow past this? And if you're like me, you, you have these questions you ask yourself, like, what were you thinking? I ask myself that a lot. Do you, what was I thinking? And oftentimes it's like, I wasn't. And I, well, then that clarifies the situation. Clearly, I wasn't thinking. And sometimes if I want something really bad, I think, you know, thinking's not that important. Because if I have to think maybe I shouldn't do it and I really want to do it and then therefore I'm, I'm caused kind of some pain or just this moment of not sure what to do. And we all face this in a variety of different ways. But tension is a very important way to not blow past and rush into decisions that all of us face. And this is part of God's work in us. Now. There's also a tension that you feel when you need to do right. And there's a feeling like, oh, I need to do right, but I don't want to do right because what's going to happen? What cost is that going to give me? And that tension exists as well. So sometimes it's not a matter of seeing the tension and then it causes you to not do something. Sometimes it's seeing the tension and realizing that it means you need to do something. And if you're not utterly confused, I'm amazed Because sometimes this is what happens in the middle of decisions. You're not sure what's right, what's wrong. You feel a tension. You don't know if that's a good tension or a bad tension. And then you think, I'm just going to crawl in a hole and then come out a year later. Or is that just me? But this is the process that that goes in and that happens. But the good news is God walks alongside us. And as he guides us, and we're going to dig into this a little bit later, we can actually determine what God is trying to do in the middle of these tension points or this inner turmoil that may exist. And I want to walk through a a powerful story in the Bible. If you haven't read the Bible much in your life, I encourage you to do so because the Bible is full of stories that you think like they should make a movie out of that because it's just, you, you couldn't make that stuff up. And I want to talk about two pretty powerful and main characters that you find in the old Testament, which is the old, older section of your Bible. And in the Old Testament, there was a king of Israel named Saul. And King Saul had a lot of power, and he was ruling and fighting many battles against the enemies that were coming against God's people. And in the midst of it, there was a young leader that came with influence and began to, to gain some notoriety around Israel. And his name was David. You may have heard of him. He's that kind of small, scrawny guy that had the slingshot that slayed Goliath. That's David. And what was happening is at this time in Israel, Saul was gaining, you know, momentum in his leadership. But as David was starting to come around, it was like he was becoming more popular. And it's kind of like that grade school picture, like you want status at your school, but then there's the guy that's cooler than you and you get a little jealous. Well, that's kind of what was happening with Saul. He became to get jealous of David and to kind of make matters worse. The people were coming up with these chants. And this is in the Bible, this idea of Saul has slayed his thousands. Like he has killed thousands of people, but David, he has slain tens of thousands. Could you imagine the King hearing kind of the people talking and like, well, Saul, you know, he's helped us, but David, can you imagine the slingshot, that the giant fell and everywhere he goes, he's taken out people. And all of a sudden the King's saying, wait a second here. This is the David that I put into power. This is the David who he has no experience leading people. And there begins, to, in, in Israel, with this leadership, there begin to become these tense moments. And you can find this in 1 Samuel, kind of the story unfold. And we're going to pick up on a story. But before I do that, what was happening is, is Saul had decided that he wanted to kill David. He wanted to take out the threat to his influence and take out the threat to his power. And so he decided wherever he was going, whatever battle he was facing, if there was ever an opportunity to take out David, he was going to do it. So David got word of this. Here's a shepherd. Here's a, here's a guy that grew up kind of not expecting to be thrown into the limelight, not expecting to necessarily be fighting battle after battle. And then he gets word that Saul is coming to kill him. The king, the leader of the army is coming to get him. And so there was some people who loved David and followed David. And he had his whole like merry men, you know, like Robin Hood. But it's not Robin Hood. It's Israel Hood. And that just came to my head, you know, it's flowing here, but he had this group of merry men that they, they were committed to him. And they just decide, what are we going to do? All of Israel is out to kill David and kill us. And they decide, well, let's hide out. That's all we can do. Let, let's hide out and hope that this tension passes. Hope that this, this experience that we're having blows over. And so they, they find these caves in the city of engedi And they decide to hide in the cave. And I want to pick up the story here in 1 Samuel 24, verse 1. After Saul returned from pursuing the Philistines, he was told, David is in the desert of En Gedi. So Saul took three thousand chosen men from all Israel and set out to look for David and his men near the crags of the wild goats. Okay, so David has his whole little merry men, not many. How many does Saul have? Three thousand. Okay, that's pretty scary. Let's pick it up. He came to the sheep pens along the way, a cave was there, and Saul went in to relieve himself. Okay, this is kind of what you call the middle school scripture, right? This is the part where, like, if you're in junior high, you start laughing. Saul had to go to the bathroom. So out of all the caves in Ed Getty, he picks the cave, and it's just a crazy story because guess what happens? David and his men were far back in the cave. Okay? The men said, this is the day the Lord spoke of when he said to you, I will give your enemy into your hands for you to deal with as you wish. So here is a man that's trying to kill David. He has 3000 men. He's never alone except for one time when he goes to the restroom. Okay, I'm not making this up. You saw it right there. And he decides he needs to pick this certain cave and he goes into the cave where David and his men were. Is that just irony? Is that just crazy? And we get to that point now where you kind of think like, well, the stars have aligned. Like it's meant to happen. Out of all the caves, he chooses the one that David is in. Not just his men, but the one David himself is in. And you can read the script. like, wow, God must have appointed this. And David's men say as much. See, this is what the God has talked about. The fact that you're going to be able to take him out. So you picture this. All this is happening. The men getting excited. Saul's in there. It's the chance to take out the man that's pursuing him to kill him. But he doesn't do it. Let's find out what happens. Verse 4 says, Then David crept up unnoticed and cut off a corner of Saul's robe. Afterward, David was conscience stricken for having cut off a corner of his robe. The idea of cutting off a corner of the robe is kind of like spitting in the face. Like it's a sign of disrespect. So here's, he had the moment to kill him, but instead he kind of makes a point and just cuts off his robe and he's conscious. It's like, "Why, why did I do that? And he says, he said to his men, the Lord forbid that I should do such a thing to my master, the Lord's anointed or lift my hand against him for he is the anointed of the Lord. With these words, David rebuked his men and did not allow them to attack Saul and Saul left the cave and went his way. So it's in this moment where it seems like the stars have aligned. The very cave that David was in, with the opportunity to take out Saul, he goes in and David decides, you know what? I know everyone's rooting for me to do this. Could you imagine? Kill him. Kill him. Kill him. And they're in the back of the cave and David's like, I've got a knife. I know how to kill. I killed a giant. And he's just hearing the pressure around him and he decides... He's walking up. Can you picture At, at that moment? Is he walking up and is he knowing? Is he going to kill him? Is he going to cut the robe? What's he going to do? And amid the pressure, he just decides, I'm just going to cut the robe off. And even that he's like, why did I cut the robe off of the king? What am I thinking? And could you imagine David's men like, what are you thinking? You cut his robe off. This is the chance to take him out. You can imagine just in this cave, like this drama. And you don't know how dark it is. Like the man, like, did he do it yet? And they're like, no, he just cut the robe off. He cut the robe off. And just people are going crazy inside the cave. And David's paying attention to something going on. And there's some key principles from this story that I want to kind of unfold because it gives us this lesson of what to do when you find yourself not sure, as David was faced with this opportunity, do I kill him? Do I not kill him? Do I take out the leader of Israel, the king the lord's anointed or do i not but he's trying to kill me and you can imagine the tension that he was facing the first thing we l- we learn from this experience is and david did this well is to not let circumstances fool you there's a part in the decision making that all of us face that somehow we look for a sign you ever done that like you, you're not sure like if you should move and you're thinking, well, if I move, there might be new opportunities for a better job if I'm closer to where that is. And all of a sudden, a moving truck goes out in front of you. It's a sign. Well, no, that might just be the route the moving truck takes every day. But you happen to be asking that at the same time. But there's a part of us that we, we look for the stars to align. We look to see, like, maybe God's speaking to me through some circumstances. Well, some of the times he can and some of the times he doesn't. Bottom line is, we can't be fooled. Just because irony or stuff lines up or coincidence, whatever it is, we don't know. We have to pay attention to the tension. There's something else that may be going on. And David did that. He didn't let circumstances fool him. And that's exactly what he did. The second thing that we're supposed to do in the middle of these intersections is to pay attention to the tension that exists. David knew how to kill, he was armed, he had men by him just in case he couldn't do it so he had every opportunity to take out Saul but there's happened within him there's something that happened where he knew it would not be right even though it seemed like everything to this point had aligned perfectly he knew that something wasn't right and even the sign of disrespect he did just caused him so much grief how could I do that to the king He was paying attention to the tension. The third thing, and we're going to dig in a little bit further to the story, is to focus on what is right. In the middle of the tension, in the middle of this opportunity that David had, that his men were giving him the pressure, do it, kill him, kill him, kill him. He knew he needed to do what was right. Right. Let's pick up in verse six again. First Samuel 24, six, he said to his men, the Lord forbid that I do such a thing to my master, the Lord's anointed or lift my hand against him for he is the anointed of the Lord. This is like peer pressure. This is the thing they're chanting, you know, kill him, take him out, David, you can do it. And he's getting all fired up. He cuts off the robe. He realizes it's wrong. He turns around and is like, why do you guys say that? I was supposed to do that. You guys are peer pressuring me and I caved to the pressure. Don't you ever do that again. And everyone's a, like, whoa, okay, David, whoa, 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 whoa. Watch out for the cave. Calm down, David. But he knew it. It wasn't right. And doing what's right in the moment was more important than David than any opportunity that seemed before him. Let's continue the story. Then David went out of the cave and called out to Saul. Okay. Anyone else think David's a little crazy now? Anyone, Right. So he had the opportunity in the cave to take out his nemesis, the person that's trying to kill him. Instead of killing him, he cuts off his robe. Then he goes out. Now, what's outside the cave? Is it just Saul? No, there's 3,000 waiting for Saul so they can find David. And the very person they're trying to find comes out in the cave. He's like, hey, everyone, (laughs) it's David. It's been a while. Kind of tired. It's all you trying to kill me. How are you doing? Do you imagine the scene? This is craziness. He went outside the cave and he said, when Saul looked behind him, what did David do? David bowed down and prostrated himself with his face to the ground. He humbled himself before the very king that was trying to kill him. He said to Saul, why do you listen when men say David is bent on harming you? This day you have seen with your own eyes how the Lord delivered you into my hands in the cave. Some urge me to kill you. And he looks back at his guys like, some urge me. Thanks, guys, again. But I spared you. I said, I will not lift my hand against my master because he is the Lord's anointed. One guy was talking about this story and he said this statement. I thought it was very kind of clear of what David was dealing with. And he said this. How smart is it to replace what God has put in place? This idea of the Lord's anointed is, although Saul was trying to kill David, although Saul was making terrible decisions in this pursuit, God had put him as the leader. He was the king. So how smart is it to replace what God has put in place? That's what David was dealing with. David goes on, verse 11. See, my father, look at this piece of your robe in my hand. I cut off the corner of your robe, but I did not kill you. Now understand and recognize that I am not guilty of wrongdoing or rebellion. I have not wronged you, but you are hunting me down to take my life. This just goes against so much within me. Because there's that part that I'm like, take him out. It's the perfect circumstances, the perfect opportunity take him out. But instead, he humbles himself and he bows down, not only to King Saul, but to all those watching. Do you imagine how humbling that could be? Now, women, you may think, this, this is a beautiful story, but guys, are you like, that's humiliating? He comes before all these other dudes, these fighting warriors, and he just lays down. I'm not worthy, king. That goes against everything in us in these opportunities. It just seems like we need to seize the moment. We need to leverage our power. But David realized, if he went against the king, how different is he than Saul, who was trying to murder him? How different? If he used the opportunity to kill, how could he have leadership with these people who followed King Saul? See, in the moment, David was paying attention to the tension. He was seeing more things going on. It caused pause for him. He let the emotions of the moment, he let the... This idea of something doesn't seem right to kind of come to the surface. And in the moment, he decided to pause and think about this. Think about what's going on. And he pleaded his case before Saul himself. So don't let circumstances fool us, as David did. We need to pay attention to the tension. We need to focus on what is right. No matter what you're feeling, It's so important to focus on what is right in the situation. And then the last principle that's so helpful as this tension, these inner turmoil comes up is let God control the outcome. We work the means. God controls the outcome. Now, many times in my life, as I face these inner tension or this turmoil or even these decisions where I don't know what's going to happen, I want to focus on the ends. I want to control the outcome. Right? Wouldn't life be so easy if I did A and then I could predict that B would happen? I'd never make a bad choice again. What you find is life doesn't work like that. We can't see everything. We can't know everything. And like we talked about our hearts, we're self-deceived even. So it's very important in these moments, no matter where you are, To realize that there's something bigger going on. There is a God who is at work. And as you decide to follow him and you let him control the outcome, he really does work it for your good and for the good of those around you. This is what God does. And David describes this with some key words. This is in verse 12 through 15, 1 Samuel 24. This is what he says. Again, this is in front of all the thousands of people. May the Lord judge... Between you and me, and may the Lord avenge the wrongs you have done to me, but my hand will not touch you. As the old saying goes, From evildoers come evil deeds, so my hand will not touch you. Against whom has the king of Israel come out? Whom are you pursuing? A dead dog, a flea? May the Lord be our judge and decide between us. May He consider my cause and uphold it. May He vindicate me by delivering me from your hand. So basically David is saying in the middle of this circumstance, in the middle of this intersection, I am not going to play God in my life to determine the outcome. I'm not going to play God in your life to determine the outcome in your life and those that are affected by what you do. He's also saying that I'm not going to allow your bad behavior and your pursuit of me to take My life to dictate what I do to respond to that. Because again, he's focusing on what is right. So no matter what the emotions were in the moment, no matter what he was feeling, he decided paying attention to attention, focusing on what is right, and letting God control the outcome would allow for a much better decision in the moment. This is crucial. He works the means he'll let God take care of the ends that's what God does so David is giving this picture of how crucial it is to, in the moment to kind of see what God is doing what's God up to why are things happening the way that they're happening is there something going on that I need to pay attention to and he paused in the moment and what you find is it was not his role to take out Saul God had another plan Saul eventually did die and David became king. But his influence on the people of Israel, on the nations connected, would have been so different if he decided in that moment to ignore the tension, to focus on what he wanted instead of what was right. And the Bible would have been rewritten. And God would have worked through that, but it would have been a totally different story. These are some important lessons. Now, you may be thinking, well, I'm not being chased by a king, right? Or I don't know where there are caves near me, right? I haven't seen many caves around. So what what does this have to do? Well, I want to kind of switch gears a little bit, talk about a passage in the New Testament that kind of allows you to get a picture of, okay, what's this next step? How do I kind of work through paying attention to the tension in the decisions that I face? And it's found in the book of Colossians, which is a letter written to the, the church in Colossae by Paul, who's a first century church starter. He's starting churches all in kind of the, the, uh, the Middle East, in Israel, in Athens, Greece, all around. And he's starting churches. And what he's finding is people are trying to learn what it means to follow Christ. And all sorts of stuff is messy. People don't know what it means to go to church. They don't know what church looks like. They don't know how to treat each other right. There's... People who are Jews, there's people who are non Jews, and in these letters he's writing like, This is the way you're supposed to treat each other, this is what you're supposed to major on, this is what you're supposed to minor on. He's giving them this picture of this is what it looks like to follow Christ. You can imagine there's so much confusion and it kind of reminds us of us today, right? We're sometimes we're what am I supposed to do? What does this look like? What does it mean to in this situation to honor God? And so he gives some kind of instructions. And I want to kind of provide it real quick on the cliff notes of what Colossians 3 says. So how to work through the tension in decision making. First thing is let the peace rule. Let the word dwell. Do it all in Christ's name. Let the peace rule. Let the word dwell. Do it all in Christ's name. So the first principle of working through the tension is let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Part of what gets our attention when there's inner turmoil is a lack of peace. See, the the way God works is he wants peace to rule. So we have a sense of what he's up to in the moment. That's a byproduct of following God. We actually have peace. And he works through the Holy Spirit guiding us. Do this. Don't do this. And he works through these whispers that can get our attention. And as the Holy Spirit guides, as he leads, as God kind of shows us where to go, how to go about it in the moment, if we ignore that, it feels like, you know, we're driving, we have the parking brake on. There's just this friction there and we're not kind of going as smooth as we could. There's a lack of peace. There's a lack of us kind of submitting the picture of David, what he did to Saul. There's this picture that we are supposed to do the same to God. We were supposed to bow down, submit and say, you know, I, I'm here before you guide me. Let the peace well let the peace rule in everything that i do so this is a, a big important part is allow the peace of god to rule in you that's what colossians 3:15 says it says can you scroll back down just a second Ezra or up i'm sorry to 3:15 there you go and let the peace of christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you were called in one body and be thankful Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. The second point is to let the word of God dwell in you. You see this in verse uh, 16. It says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. There again, we see this idea of thankfulness twice right there. Because in the middle of these intersections and these decision makings, a lot of times we're thinking, what am I supposed to do? How am I supposed to do it? And there's a part where part of how the the peace of Christ dwells is you're thankful for what you have been given. In the moment where you're not sure what to do, in the moment of unclarity and just fuzziness, thankfulness actually untangles a lot of the wires. It allows the peace to dwell, to rule, and the Word of God to dwell. Uh Part of this dwelling is a picture of like a seed that's planted. If you get into the Bible and you actually read it and you try to read it on a regular basis, God's word is key to guiding in your life. See, as you're allowing the peace to rule in you and if you allow the, the, the word of God to dwell, it's like these seeds that are planted that as they they sprout. They give you the sense of, of what to say. I give you a sense of what to do. That's what the word of God does. It gives us just this insight into a situation where we're not sure what to do. And we're allowed to pull from this resources of this God who sees how everything works. And he gives us these instructions. And as we, we pay attention to that and as we see kind of things that are happening and going on around us as it relates to how we should treat people, as it relates to how we should handle the things before us, the word of God provides this, this clarity in the moment. I know many times the word of God has just given me this sense of this is what is right. The only way you know to focus on what is right is if you allow the scripture to determine what that is. We can't self-define right and wrong. The Bible does that for us. And so as it dwells, we're allowed to plant the right seeds. Opposed to following our emotions or following the culture that when the, the sprout comes and it blooms... There's no help in the moment. We have limited clarity, limited resources outside of of the Word of God. And then the last thing related to letting the Word of God dwell is this God is never going to lead us to do something in the present that contradicts what He has said in the past. That's very helpful. Because a lot of times in the moment, we don't know what to do. And we're in the present. We think, God, what are you working? How are you doing this? What is it going to look like? And as you dig into the scriptures, you see the character of God unfold as he was leading others. And you can use that to learn from. He will not contradict himself. That provides a great amount of clarity in the moment. And the last thing is do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. Colossians three seventeen and whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God, the father through him. This idea of doing it in the name is like you're an ambassador. Like if you do it in the name of the king, you're representing the country. Well, if you do it in the name of the Lord Jesus, you represent the kingdom of God. You're an ambassador. And so when you're faced with a decision, one of the key questions is, do I want to put God's name on what I'm about to do? Is that a scary question? Man, that would kind of protect me from a lot of boneheaded decisions I've made in my life. Would God want to put his stamp of approval on what I do in this moment? The way I handle my job, the way I treat my kids, the way I talk to my neighbor, the way I drive on the freeway, every aspect of my life. Am I doing this in God's name? Does it represent him well? Am I being the ambassador That I'm supposed to be. This is how you work out the tension. you're not sure and you have this feeling. You're thinking, well, what, what would God approve of in this situation? What is right? What does the word of God say? Where's the peace in this? What is God trying to show me? What is God trying to tell me? As you take a step back and you take this inventory. You find that you still have to walk by faith. But clarity comes. And whatever you're faced with today. You may be in that tension point right now. You're not exactly sure what to do. I encourage you, take some time. Allow the tension, the inner turmoil to kind of work itself out to the surface. Be honest with yourself. Ask, kind of, what's going on? Why are you feeling this? What's going on in this situation? Allow it to come up so you can kind of see what's going on. As the band comes up, I want to walk through uh, some next steps today. Uh, These are really just helpful steps that you can take as you try to kind of Part of this process of maybe letting the word of God dwell in you. Maybe there's some things that you could do or think about. And so we've given you some suggested next steps. You can think of anything that you want. If God spoke in you today, I encourage you to, to take those steps. But here's the first thing. Uh, memorize Colossians 3.15. Part of letting the word of God dwell is you've got to have it in your, in your mind. you got to let it soak in so you can recall it in the moment. great way to do that is to memorize scripture. So memorize Colossians 3.15. The second is identify attention related to a decision and work through it based on Colossians 3.15. So just take an inventory. Are there any tense moments right now or just this inner turmoil you're facing and you know you should pause and you need to pay attention to it? Work through some of what we've talked about today to do that. Uh, The third is to attend the the quiet time class. Sign up for that. That'd be a great help to you. If you want to be a part of the bunko party, uh, sign up for that. That will help us with planning and then the parenting seminar as well. And so all, all of those classes that were offered, we, we just offer to you as just a way to help you connect with people and to grow uh, in your relationship to God. Let's pray together.